Is that like the most stress-inducing video you've had? Like, my heart is actually racing right now. <laughs> um, we, we got that video from um, a church called North Point. It's a guy named Andy Stanley who developed this series, and the material is so awesome. I wanted to present, uh, present it to you because we all need... Who, who, who out there needs a little bit of breathing room? Take a deep breath. Just, oh, man. You feel better? Yeah. Um, we have this pattern at our house. I don't know if you have something like this similar at your house, but about every weekend, my wife and I say, you know what we ought to do this weekend? We ought to go down to the basement and we ought to clear out all the clutter in our basement. You know, we, that's our, that's our conversation. And we've been having this conversation for five years, like five years. In fact, about two years ago, two or three years ago, we had the student ministry team all the students, 6th to 12th grade, came to our house, and here's what their directive was. Take everything out of, the, out of the basement, you know, within limits. There were some things that we had to hold on. And take them up to the front lawn and sell them, and then you guys keep the money for student ministry. And they did, and they made like 1000 bucks that day, right? So, but I don't know what has happened, but it's like a vortex down there. And so, like, now it's, it's there again. Thinking about having children's ministry come. Um, I'll just show you, like, I went down there this week and just took some, some, just a random, a random sampling of some items that, you know, that are just there. And this is just a very, very random sample. This, for instance, is a, uh, it's called a double draft stop. There are like 10 of these in our basement. These are supposed to stop drafts through your window. Has anybody seen these? This is like a, you know, for sale on TV only kind of thing. Does anybody want, does anybody want this? I mean, seriously. There you go. Virginia Green. Virginia Green. It's all yours. No, for real. No, seriously. Yeah. Um, we have like, uh, we got like 25 of these orange pumpkins. So those are available. Um, this was interesting. I saw like dozens of these. They're multicolored post-it pads. And oh, you want this. Oh, oh, oh. I didn't realize post-it, this is all Dominic. I didn't realize post-it pads were so... So popular. This is a, uh, there were like three boxes of nutty bars down there. But here's the thing. I, some of the items down there, I saw dates like 2011, 2012, perishable items. I don't know what the date on this is. But I feel like it, it, even if it was 2045, this would still be good, right? Oh, this is the last picnic? Okay. I better save this for my wife, right? Uh, okay, there's a nutty bar. <laughs> Um, you know, we all have, we all have like in our basements, in our garages, in our closets, in our lives, right? We have different degrees of, um, I guess, tolerance for, for clutter, right? Seems that like more creative people seem to allow a little more, I don't know, maybe this is totally gross generalization, seem to allow a little more clutter in, in their space, right? And then more sort of linear people are kind of like, you know, they want lines, they want clean stuff, they don't want stuff around, right? Um, I, I, I'm a minimalist. I'm a minimalist. So like, I don't like, <laughs> minimalists also tend to think that that's the godly way. We just, we just think that. Um, but but, like, here's a, a, here's a picture of my closet. I'm just, I, I just wanted to show you. That's the entirety of my closet right there. It's not, uh, it's not fancy, you know, but it's, like, exactly the way I want it. I don't want more shirts than that. I don't want more shoes. I just, I'm like, you know, my wife is, is she's, um, 
She's creative. She's creative. <laughs> I actually was going to show a picture of her closet, but I didn't want that much breathing room in my life. I want to keep my wife around. Um, <laughs> um, so here's the deal, right? The, the truth, the reality is that in your car or in your closet or in your basement or whatever, it's okay if, if everything is packed. It's okay. We're all different. We're all made different. We have, we have different personality types. You know, you know we all, we're all different in that way. But what's not good, right, is when your life is so packed to the hilt that you don't have time for the things that are important. What's not good is that if your schedule is so packed, you have no margin, you have no leeway, you have no freedom of movement, that you're just, if one domino falls in your schedule, right, then just everything falls apart, right? In your, in your finances, if you're right at the edge of your finances, so that you're, you're like terrified to open the mail, because something may come in the mail, and you go, oh, man, I wasn't expecting that bill. And then suddenly, right, you're at the hilt. You're at the very, very end of your capacity. That's not the life you want to leave. You don't want a, a life where your relationships are so strained because your life is so packed and you don't have any margin. You don't have any breathing room that you end up in a, a relationship with someone you love. And it's just sort of a transference of information. And there's no real... There's no real sort of uh, just space for you and the people that you love, your friends or your, your spouse or whatever. And so this series is, is about that breathing room. Breathing room. Breathing room means like you have some margin to sit down with a roommate or some friends or family at dinner and just sit there and say, hey, how's, you know, how's your day been? And it's a wildly inefficient time, right? You just get to hang out and talk to somebody. Breathing room means that you're, you're in, you can pray. You can, you can actually spend some time in prayer and you're not going like, how, how many of you recognize this kind of thing? This kind of prayer, all right? This is self-admission time. You're like, Lord, I just thank you for your, um, for your grace and, your, um, and your, um, your mercy to me. And um, I'm just so encouraged by the, uh, huh, why did not, why didn't he retweet that? I, I was like, that was a no-brainer. But anyway, thank you, Lord. You know what I mean? It's like you can't concentrate on prayer. You can't tr- concentrate on conversation with, with other people. You're looking at somebody, and, you know, you're talking to them, but your brain is, like, already gone. And then you have that embarrassing moment where you actually didn't hear what they said, even though you're talking to them, and they're two feet away from you, you know? Breathing room just means you have, you have some room in your life to... Take a deep breath, and if you stop, everything won't fall apart. That's what breathing room means. I've got a little working definition for you, and it's this. Breathing room is the space between your current location, your current location, and your total capacity. And that means in your work life, in your finances, in your relationships, in all of that, you have space between your current location and your total capacity capacity. Now, when we launched U City Family Church three years ago, I was working as an attorney, and my wife and I actually had a conversation. Oh, by the way, yeah, I'm going to get, if you guys like the connection cards, um, open your bulletins. You have sermon notes in there. You can follow along and just fill in your sermon notes. Um, If you need a pen, let's have a couple of our greeters uh, grab some pens. If you need a pen, raise your hand, and we'll get you some pens, okay? 
Um, this, is, this is also new. I, I expected like a standing ovation for that, but um, no? Okay, okay. <laughs> Um, so when we started U City Family Church three years ago, and we were work, and I was working both as an attorney and as a pastor, we had a conversation before the church started, and we said the conversation was this: Do we want to have a time problem, or do we want to have a money problem? That was the conversation in my house with my wife, because we knew that there was going to be a problem. We knew that we were going to burn up some margin in our life. We knew that if you're going to have a full time job you know, that's highly demanding and you're going to plant a church, something is not going, you know, something's not going to fit easily. Um, so we opted for a time problem. We said, all right, we'll just, I'll keep working. And for two years, um, I, I continued to practice law and be the pastor of U City Family Church. Um, and I can personally attest that I would not have been able to preach this series to you with integrity a year and a half ago because we had no margin. There was like just no space for anything to go wrong. If something went wrong, everything would fall apart, you know. And I had my, my counselors and advisors and overseers saying, like, are you, you know, are you doing okay? Are you going to be all right, you know? And I had some people ask me later, like, did you guys get burned out? We said, we know we didn't get burned out. We got slightly toasted. We were on the way. If, if we had stayed in the oven just a little bit longer, um, but by God's grace, we were able to, to transition out of that and, and become full-time here. So it, it's, it, it's this space. It's the, having that space, having that breathing room. And when we don't have that, we know that things go bad, right? Here are a few things that go, that go on when you don't have that breathing room. You can write these down in your, in your connection card. And you know all these, right? First of all, your stress level increases. No matter where you're at or what you're doing, it's just a heightened level of stress. You can be driving down a road and somebody makes a turn in front of you and suddenly you just, you know, you're saying things that you're like, and I, I'll, I'm going to, man, I'm just going to be full on admission today. I'll sometimes say things in those highly stressful situations and then I'll go, man, I better check to make sure I didn't act, inadvertently dial someone because I don't want them to hear the savory words that just came out of my mouth, right? Uh, Pastor, you left a very interesting voicemail. Um, uh, Seemed like you were driving and maybe a little upset, um, right? So our stress level increases. Um, our thoughts become exaggerated when we don't have breathing room in our life. We, we end up using, like, really intense language. We, we say things like, I've got to get this done. I have to do this. If I don't do this, I'm, I'm a dead man, right? If I don't, get, if I don't finish this project, I, it's over for me, Right? If we don't pay that bill, you know, and you, you have this exaggerated, you know, language in your mind that you speak to yourself with this intense language, and, it, and, it, and it, it's, it's very debilitating, right? Another thing is your perspective gets distorted. Your, your perspective. You start what they call catastrophizing, right? You t- start turning mountains, you, you know, you start turning molehills into mountains. And you start thinking that everything is like a major, major deal. And you also do this thing where you like filter out all of the good information, all of the good stuff, and you focus on all of the negative stuff. You can have like, you can be at, a, at an event or at a party and have like all these great interactions but then there's one interaction where somebody either says something or they look at you in a certain way. And then when you're stressed out, you don't have any margin. You don't have any breathing room. You go home and you sort of obsess. Like, I wonder what, what did he mean by that? Why, why, you know, right? 
And he's just like, you kind of go into this cycle. Then it, and, it, and then you can't get any more sleep. And you're, you're just getting burnt out. The other thing is that your relationships become strained. Right? There's just, you, you have conversations, but they're, you know, they're just, they're very shallow. They're very just gray. I, I remember there was a guy at our park right by our house. And this guy, this guy had no margin. He was with his son. The, guy, the, the son was probably four or five years old. I was with my boys. And everybody's like playing on the playground. And this guy was trying to play with his son and do work, like on email with his phone, right? And I'm watching him, and he's, he's doing that thing where he's actually doing neither. He's like, hey, buddy, come on. Yeah, okay, let's get on the slide. Okay, and then he's looking at his phone, and he's sending emails. And, like, I could just tell, like, this was not going to go well. And, and, you know, within 10 minutes, he's like, okay, come fine, let's just go. Come on, let's get at it, you know. And he, like, poor kid had no idea what was going on, but the guy had no margin. He had no breathing room in his life. And the last thing is that our joy evaporates, right? The things that we used to enjoy are just dull and not fun anymore. Things that we would normally go, man, let's go do that, just seem like it's, why, it's not worth it, right? We're so exhausted. We're so tapped out that nothing, nothing is joyful anymore. So the question, because I think most of us just intuitively get this, right? This isn't, this isn't a spiritual rea- reality. It's just a normal reality. It's just the way life is, right? So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, why do we do this? Why do we lead lives like this? Because all of us at times lead lives like this. this. This looks like us. You know, why do we do that? And we may have a lot of explanations, a lot of justifications for it. Uh, and, and we may say, well, it's just the nature of the time that I'm in right now, right? And that may be true. I think that was probably true for us. That like, you know, we were in a period and that's just what it was. The, 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 the problem is that after that period ended, my tendency was to make that, just kind of recreate that, just fill up that margin, right? So we, we, we sort of do this. We perpetuate this. We may say that, like, that's just the nature of the industry I'm in. That's just the nature of the work I do. Or that's just the nature of, you know, life. You know, it's just like that, right? But I think there's an underlying reality that drives us to live that way. And I want you to just sort of think about this and, and, and chew on this and see if this reflects you. I think that underneath... This drive to buy more, spend more, you know, uh, pack our schedules, our, our, our tendency to burn up the margin in our life, underneath that is fear. Underneath that is fear. And it's not a huge fear. It's not like massive fears. It's small fears. It's like, have you heard of FOMO? FOMO? F-O-M-O? Oh, it's called the fear of missing out. Isn't that cool? I love that term. FOMO. Um, it's the fear, it's like, you know, if I don't go to all those things, or if I don't buy that thing, or if I don't get that, or if I don't meet with that person, what's going to happen, right? It's the fear of missing out. Another fear that we have um, is the fear of falling behind. And the fear of falling behind is like, we think that we're looking at other people, we're comparing ourselves to others, and we're like, if I don't do this, or if I don't have that, or I don't make that enough amount of money or I don't then I'm going to fall behind my peers and I had I have some friends that have just gotten wrecked in this because of this fear you know graduating from law school hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt 
uh, buy the house that's right at the edge of their buying capacity, buy the cars that are right at the edge, buy the housing, you know, um, you know, housewares and stuff that are right at the edge, right? Then they're working, they're, they're, they're working like crazy to hit those bonus, those billable hour requirements. They're just, they're just like right on the margin. And, and um, unfortunately, the, the, there's a couple friends of mine that they were doing, they were living that way. And within three years, they were divorced. They were just, they were, they were fried. They were totally fried. And then they're chained to their jobs because they got all this stuff, right? They got all this debt to pay down. And it's just like, why, why do we live like that? They're, they were afraid. They were afraid of not you know, living up to the expectations of somebody, maybe their parents, maybe their peers, maybe their grandparents, maybe their themselves, who knows. Um, but the cruel, uh, and the other, the other one is fear of irrelevance. And I think a lot of it actually boils down to that fear of irrelevance. Like we place our meaning in what we have, what we do, how much we do, how productive we are, how efficient we are, you know, how can we get as much packed into our life as possible because that means we're relevant. That means we matter. That means that somehow our life makes sense, right? The cruel irony of all of this is that this drive, this drive to matter is the very thing that threatens all the things that actually matter in our lives, right? This drive to make, to make sure that we're relevant, to make sure that, we're, that what we do really matters, it can undermine relationships, it can undermine our personal health, it can undermine everything. It, can, it just can undercut all that, we, that really matters in our life. Um, so, here's the question. If we see this in our lives, in our own lives, and I think most of us, if we're honest, do, then, you know, and we, and we sort of agree that there's, there is some kind of an underlying drive there. Um, what is it, what is it that, that we do about that? And, and what does the Bible say about that? Because the scripture actually talks a lot about this, surprisingly. And it seems that whenever the scripture is addressing these kinds of things, whenever the scripture is addressing a fear issue, it addresses it with a faith solution. When there's a fear issue, there's always a faith solution. Um, So what would it be like in our lives if we underwent this shift of living on the edge because of fear to living in sort of peace and calm and, and joy because we have faith in a God who loves us and who instills his meaning into us and who loves us the way we are and who doesn't require us to prove our worth to him? What if we actually believe that that God is looking out for us and he loves us and he's going to take care of us and like a good father, he's got, us, he's got our back? What if we live that way, right? So thousands of years ago, uh, a couple thousand years before Jesus, the ancient Israelites, the Hebrews, were a nomadic people. They were shepherds and herdsmen, and they traveled all around the Middle East, and that, that's where they lived. And they migrated into Egypt at one point, and you know the story of Joseph, and if you've been to Sunday school, and uh, you know, they, a bunch of Israelites went into Egypt during a famine, uh, and they started to uh, thrive there, and they started to flourish, and then the Egyptians got threatened by that, uh, the Egyptian government, and so they enslaved the Israelites. They enslaved the, the Hebrew children. And so for 400 years, these ancient Israelites lived under the thumb of the Egyptian government, and they were slaves, and they worked 24-7, and they had no breathing room. In fact, if they stopped for a moment, 
They would be in fear for their life. If you stop to lean on your shovel because you're tired, some Egyptian your slave master is there with a whip to, 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 to you know, force you back into it. So you, there was never, there was sort of this constant, think about this, 400 years, generation after generation, of living under this constant fear that if I don't do enough, or if I don't do it right, if there's no margin for error, then my very life is threatened, right? There's no time for hanging out and having relationships. There's no time. If you came across a little bit of money or if you came across a little bit of resources, you're not going to be, you're not going to have a, uh, a healthy relationship with that thing because it's going it's always threatened to be taken away from you, right? There's always a threat that it's gone. So you either have to use it up immediately or you have to hoard it, hide it, right? Because you're living in this constant state of fear. So, you know, uh, when the Israelites finally were delivered out of, of Egypt, God began to institute laws, right, that would help them form a nation. And, you know, we kind of look back on it, and, and we don't really see it. If you look at it from the front end, you go, well, there are 613 commandments in the Bible for the Israelites, right? And we look back at that, and we go, oh, man, that's a lot of commandments, right? But he's formed, God is literally forming a nation. He is hitting the reset button on 400 years of slavery. He's saying, I need to teach you how to think about your life, how to think about others, how to think about me, how to conduct your life. I'm, I'm going to teach you from the ground up how to live. And what's fascinating about that is that several of those laws that he put into place were directed at teaching the Israelites about breathing room, about breathing room, about how to stop and take a breath and, and, and appreciate life and appreciate God and enjoy one another, right? Some of these principles, you know, I'm going to give you three of them um, that, he, that he taught. And the first one that you're probably familiar with is the Sabbath, right? This was the very, and we look back at the Sabbath and we go, yeah, you, gotta, you know, it's a day off, right? Yeah, of course. You realize this was absolutely mind-bendingly revolutionary for the ancient Israelites, no one had ever said to them, hey, why don't you take a day off? That had never happened. They were churning out work 24-7. In fact, you know, in some of the uh, biblical texts, there were, it seemed like the pharaohs sort of got a kick out of making it even harder. You know, like make bricks, make double the, the amount of bricks, and now we're going to take away the straw, the stuff that you use to make bricks. And, and they just, so there was just sort of this constant grind, like the hamster on the hamster wheel, you know. And now God is saying, law. Take a day off. Friday night, when the sun goes down, chill out. Stop. And then just chill out all day Saturday. Worship, pray, hang out with your family, eat, relax, right? Then Sunday morning, get up and, you know, you get back at it, right? It's just amazing that that was right out of the gate, one of the very first things that he taught. And the question is, what, you know, I'll read you the verse. Uh, he said, the seventh day is a day to the Lord. Um, here we go. Uh, seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Then he said, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals. Like, don't let your animals work. Yeah, they, need a, they need a day off. I love that. Um, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. In other words, everybody just, just, everybody just kick back and relax. Why did he do that? Well, one is that he knows how human beings are wired. And he knows that we need, we need to relax, right? We need that. He knows that we're actually going to be more e- effective if we have downtime, 
right? But I think another key thing that he's trying to teach in this is, I want you to trust me. Because in ancient Israel, you know, if you didn't work, then what happens? Like, what if you don't bring in the hay? What if you don't bring in the wheat? What if you don't get the corn that day, right? What if you don't have enough grapes? And God's saying, just trust me, right? Just take a day and stop and trust me. Some of us today, right? Some of us today need to live this principle in our life. We need to be able to, at some point in the week, take, shut the phone off, shut the computer down, you know, and you, you, know, you might be fidgeting for it, right? You might be like, I just need to, I just want to check one, can I just check one email? Yeah, I'm just going to sneak into my office and just check one email. Okay, then I'm done. Um, how many likes did I get on that page? Um, but, but if we will, if we'll just stop, right? Because part of what this teaches us is to trust that God's got us. He's got us. He's got us. He's got our back, okay? Another one of the breathing room laws that he, um, that he taught was the tithe. The tithe. And I'm not going to, this isn't a, a tithing uh, sermon. So take a deep breath. You're good, right? Okay. Um, but what he was teaching there is they didn't have banks in, in ancient Israel. So what he taught them was when you do bring in your sheaths from the field or you bring in your corn or you get, you know, you accrue more uh, animals or, or, or more money or whatever, they would have these little boxes or jars and he would say, put, put your tithe in there, take 10% of your income and put it in there and then when you make a trip to Jerusalem to the temple, take it uh, to Jerusalem give it to the temple, and then that will be used to build religious institutions and help the poor and, uh, you know, train uh, priests and all that sort of stuff. And so it had, a, it had a very important function in society, but even more so than that, God is teaching them breathing room. He's teaching them that not every single little thing that you get do you have to spend right now. Right? Because, like I said, 400 years of slavery, you're not going to have a healthy relationship with resources. When you get, when you get something, you're either going to have that, you know, centuries of fear where you go, I need to just spend this. Or you're going to get, become like a stingy hoarder and you're going to pack it away and you're going to become clammed up and you're going to hide it and you're never going to use it. You're never going to touch it. And God is saying, you know what? I want to I build some breathing room in your life. Right? Here's some margin. Take some of this and then give it away, right? Build some breathing room in your life. And let me encourage you with this. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to go down this path and teach you all about giving. But those people who, two, two things I'm going to say. One is this principle has been abused wildly in the churches, right? And all you have to do is turn on the television. You can find Hucksters for Jesus, you know, on almost every channel, okay? And um, God have mercy on their souls. I mean that. Because it's, it's, it's nonsense, all right? So I, I don't want you to think that that's, that's what the Bible is teaching. Um, because it's not. What the Bible is teaching, though, is that there is a principle that when you open up and when you're generous and you create some margin and some space in your life, there's a blessing that flows in your heart right? Doesn't mean God's going to drop a Rolls Royce on your head, right? It's not a get rich quick, quick scheme, right? But there's a, there's a value in it. And that's why I even tell people, if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you've heard all this stuff and you're cynical and skeptical about it, then don't give it to the church. Give it to American Red Cross. Give away a percentage of your income and see what happens in your life because there's, there's some breathing room that's created and generated there. It's just a, it's just a truth. Okay. Um, 
Okay, good. That was good. Um, and the other thing, you know, again, he's teaching there is trust me. Um, I'm going to brag on New City Family Church for one minute because I now know the numbers. But at the, at, when all the dust settles on this year and we issue all of our final checks and everything is tallied up, we, w- we will have given away $27,000 to other nonprofit agencies. Yeah. <laughs> Missions, church planting efforts. I think that's awesome. I just think that's awesome. And I think that the value of us you know, building that directly into who we are from the beginning has made a massive difference in the way our church operates and the way our mindset is because we're just employing this principle of creating some margin, creating some breathing room. Okay. Amen. All right. Then the third one is very interesting, and I love this one. It's called the law of gleaning. This is one you probably do not know about. You probably have not read this one. Um, The law of gleaning is basically God telling the Israelites, I don't want you to go after everything that you can get. I don't want you to go after every single thing you get. I don't want you to push yourself to the limits. I want you to have some margin, even in the way you work and the way you pack your schedule and in the way you try to accrue money and all that. Look at this passage, Leviticus 19. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field. In other words, don't, don't, don't get every you know, every ear of corn or every, just leave some on the edge uh, of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time. Don't go back out there with your, you know, sack and try to get every single thing. Um, don't, don't pick up the grapes that have fallen, right? They fell off, just leave them on the ground. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner. Isn't that amazing? He's saying, you know, don't, don't, but you're like, well, but, but wait, that's money. That's, that's money that I'm leaving on the table, right? And he said, yeah, that's right. I want you to leave that there, right? Because, you know, a, a foreigner may come walking through and, and there might need, they might need to eat some grapes or some corn, right? You know, and so just leave a little bit. Leave some margin. That's what he's saying. Create a little bit of margin in your life, right? And again, if you're an Israelite and you're used to like, well, well what's going to happen if I do that, right? What if I don't have enough? What if I don't? And again, he's saying, you know what? I want you to trust me. In fact, look, look at the last line of this scripture. It's, it seems like a non sequitur. Look at the, the, click that next slide for me. The next slide says, because he just says, I am the Lord your God. You see what he's saying? This seems like do all this, and then this seems like a completely different thought, but it's not. It's him saying, leave some margin. P.S. I'm your God. I got you. I got you. I'm going to take care of you. It's going to be all right. Just be cool. All right? Um, then Jesus came along, and Jesus took this, and some of the stuff that you read that he says just kind of blows your mind, right? The, one of the famous passages he says is this. In Matthew, he says, Do not worry. Don't worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. In other words, he's saying people who don't know that there's a God in heaven that loves them, they're, they're worrying about all this. They're running after this. They're scampering after this all the time. Don't do that. He said, because your heavenly father knows that you need them. Your, your dad knows what you need. He knows what you need. So you don't have to be fretting and worrying and struggling all the time. Your dad knows what you need. I, I took my boys to the mall the other day. Me and Jameson and Lincoln and Augustine. So all the boys and me. And when you're at the mall 
and you're a guy and you got three kids and they're all little kids, people just look at you. <laughs> you know, some people look at you with a little bit of pity, like, oh, poor guy. Huh. You know, other people look at you and they're so impressed. They're just like, that guy, three kids, he's got him, you know. They don't do that with moms. If you're, if you're a mom and you've got three kids, people are like, yeah, whatever. You know, you're like, your hair is all straggly. But, um, but people just think, you know, the dad, he, doesn't, he probably doesn't know what he's doing, right? But I just, I know, I know what my kids need. I know what they need, you know. So I've got, Augustine's only eight months old. But before I left, I, I, I knew exactly, I didn't have to ask anybody. In fact, I didn't even tell Rebecca this. I went in, and I got a Hawaiian roll out of our kitchen, and I squeezed it, and I made it real chewy. Have you ever done that? Like, just squeeze the Hawaiian roll? No? I'm the only one who's done that. You squeeze it, and you make it real mushy, and then I wrapped it up in a paper towel and stuck it in my pocket. Got a cheese stick in the pocket. Got two diapers. Pocket. Wet wipes. Pocket. Binky. Pocket. I got him covered. I got the blankie over the shoulder. I'm out. Check you guys later. And I'm at the mall. And we're all walking around. I'm pushing him in the stroller. I'm just pinching off little pieces of the Hawaiian roll, putting in his mouth. I'm like, I'm good, right? I know, I know what my kids need, right? And I'm, gonna, I'm their dad. I love them. So I'm going to watch out for them. And that's what Jesus says in this passage. He says, your father knows what you need. He knows that you need to feed yourself. He knows that you want your kids to flourish. He knows that you want you know, your, a career to go well for you. He knows that you, you really hope for you know, some success in life. He knows what you need. And he's going to look out for you. And he's going to take care of you. And then the scripture goes on to say, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Right? Go after him. And it's, he's got you. He's got you. <sighs> Breathing room, right? This year, um, I want us to, over the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to look at three different areas uh, uh, where, where we're going to be talking about breathing room. One is in your time and your schedule, how you're, how you're living your life, right? And then we're also going to talk about your money, how to create margin, and, and space there and what the Bible says about that. And then also in your relationships. We're going to be talking that over the next uh, three weeks. So I just want to encourage you today that, you know, if you're living in this life that's just crazy and it's just fast-paced and you're right at the edge, maybe you're right at the edge of your money, right at, your, right at the edge of your time, right on the brink with your relationships, God has a lot to say about that. And it's, you know, a lot of it is, what I love about this series is it's sort of counterintuitive for a new year. Because a New Year's a New Year sermon series can sometimes be get out there and do everything and be everything and go for everything and and this is this is about like hey you know what we're a lot of us are already doing that you know a lot of you are hard chargers a lot of you need just to pull back a little bit and take a deep breath and have some breathing room right why why because it's time to trust God it's time to replace that fear with faith. It's time to step out and just know that you've got a God who loves you. He's your father. He's got you. He wants you to breathe. All right? Amen. Let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We thank you for this amazing, this amazing scripture, these amazing principles that you shared with the, the ancient Israelites and that you share with us today. God, we ask that you help us to instill these truths into our own life, um, that we stop trying to uh, work our way into relevance, 
that we stop trying to fight our way and claw our way into a life that matters, but that we just stop for a minute and that we trust you, that we trust that you've got us, that we open up some breathing room in our life, in our, in our schedules and in our finances and in our relationships so that we don't burn up the margin in our life. We don't burn up in an effort to matter. We don't burn up what matters the most. Father, we ask today that you just help guide us Help strengthen us. Help encourage us. Help us to open up to you, Lord, and put our trust in you. Uh, and, and just be still and know that you are God. And know that you love us. And know that you've got our back. Help us to trust in you in a whole new way this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You feeling more cool right now, everybody? Yeah. That's a great thing about church, right? And then you get to just, sometimes in church, that's, that's an opportunity to just stop. Take that, let the scripture sink in. Let the music sink in and just focus on God. We're also doing um, 21 days of fasting and praying. For those of you who um, uh, have been members of our church for some time, you know that we do this every year. Um, there's a lot of information on our website about that. That's also about just creating some space. Uh, and, and there's information about how to fast, different kinds of fasts. Um, some people think of fasting as a total, you know, uh, abstention from food, and it can be that. Um, but it can you can fast from other things, or you can do intermittent fasting. There are a lot of different things that you can do. We've got a ton of information on our website about that. But I do encourage you, over the next three weeks, just find some time. Find, give something up to create some space for you to just connect with God. Um, that may be breakfast, you know, two days a week. It may be uh, supper three days a week. It may be, you know, you're giving up some, um, you know, Facebook <laughs> for three weeks. Um, no, uh, but maybe. But, um, you know, just find something, find something to, to create some of that margin in your life. Um, we always close our service by worshiping in a few different ways. And I want to invite you to worship with us in just a moment.